RadioInfluence.com. Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10 12 60 with your questions, comments, or smart ass remarks. Welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. Jeff Crushell here, the con man behind the glass, and we're your weekly source for performance information. Listen, if you want to reach out to us, do so. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is our email, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush. On our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, just search out Crush Performance, and we will hook you up. And we've been trying to hook you up all this last week with drills and ideas to keep you sharp and ready in this incredible shutdown due to coronavirus, how things have changed since we last spoke. It's incredible to see how the world is responding so quickly and rightfully so, thank goodness. And hopefully we get in front of this thing sooner than later. But today I wanted to take a positive spin. You know, baseball should be getting underway here. Spring training coming to an end. Baseball across the land should be getting underway. So I wanted to talk a little baseball. Let's uh, continue on. Uh, we'll be joined later on today by Jamie Reed, the Senior Director of Medical Operations for the Texas Rangers, in a conversation that I think is going to go well beyond baseball as we talk about player development and injury prevention and things we need to be thinking about if we're truly going to maximize the potential of players and athletes everywhere. He is a crush favorite, no question. So we got a great conversation coming up with him later in the show. But right now, listen, I totally get it. I understand the anger, the frustration, even the sadness right now as our lives have been incredibly disrupted. We're so out of our normal routines. And hey, let's face it, we're missing a lot of incredible things. You know, we have sport being shut down top to bottom. We've got concerts being canceled and postponed. School plays. Kids have worked long and hard to get ready for their school plays or year-end concerts. We've got provincial and state championships all canceled. And so many more things that are disrupting our normal lives. And I think we really have to pay attention to how we're framing this up. And the only thing I can think to do is frame it in a positive light. There's only one way to approach this. And let's take advantage of it. You know, much like our athletes when they get injured. What a catastrophic thing for an athlete. And how you frame it up is really, really important. So for our athletes who get injured, here's what we say to them. You have 90 seconds to feel sad, mad, angry, whatever. 90 seconds. And then we got to start thinking about, okay, what do we do to get better? And what can we do in the meantime? Well, we can't participate in our sport or prepare like we normally would. What else can we do to improve our value, to make us better? And I think that's what we all need to do right now. Let's frame it up. Let's look at this as an opportunity to get better, do things that we wouldn't normally do. And if we did that, you know, whether you're a musician or whether you're uh, in drama or whether you're uh, involved in a sport, 
we can really, really get better during this downtime. We're isolated. We're shut down. Uh, a lot of times we're on our own right now. So there's things you can do. And we've been posting a bunch of great ideas on the internet. There's tons of great things. But here's the trick. You have to understand the context of what you're doing and how it's going to help you out. You know, for some of our elite athletes, having a nice little break right now is not the worst thing. Uh, they're frustrated. They're bored. Uh, we get them involved in music. You know, for our artists, we get them doing maybe different types of art. But for our athletes, we're taking our baseball players and maybe we're getting them to do some juggling drills or we're taking our soccer players and we're getting them to do some visual awareness stuff. There's so many things you can do. And I thought we'd uh, touch base with the experts down at United Sport and Cycle. Kelly Hodgson joins us to talk about this incredible shutdown. Kelly, you know, if we frame this upright, it can be a great opportunity, can it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Whether you're an elite athlete or a recreational athlete, uh, there's going to come a time and the time's going to come very quick where, you, where boredom starts to set in and stuff. And you don't have to just, uh, you know, shut everything down. There's there's lots of different ways, depending on what sport or activity that you uh you like to enjoy that um, that you can keep yourself busy and and sharpen some of those um, finite skills that you probably wouldn't work on otherwise. Yeah, you know, and it's not just for athletes either. You know, we have uh, drama kids in our family and we've got musical kids in our family, you know, so they're going to be practicing their crafts for sure. But there's no downside to getting involved in some kind of physical activity, whether it's juggling a soccer ball in your living room or your bedroom or doing some puck drills in the basement or in the garage. Uh, There's lots of things you can do, but you have to remain physically active, Kelly. And there's a lot of great ideas. I mean, there's little stick handling drills, there's little bounce pads, there's little, you know, foam uh, tutor shooter targets you can shoot at uh soccer balls you can juggle there's really you're limited by your imagination during this time aren't you no you for sure are and uh you know we're really hoping that people aren't going to uh gravitate towards the screen and you know get lost in their ipad or their or their uh, electronic device but yeah hopefully they're going to rediscover a whole new part of them that they never um or they haven't tapped into for a long time so like you say uh, we're hoping that through this, maybe the sport of street hockey gets back up and running again, and um, or just you know little individual things that you know, are, depending if you're a ball player or a lacrosse player or soccer player, whatever, a rebounder might be your best friend um, during this time, where you can you know if you're a ball player, you can throw yourself and give yourself ground balls back, or you can throw it and give yourself fly balls, and, and a soccer player can use it as a bit of a rebounder to you know work on your touch, and lacrosse player again, you can work on different balls coming back to you at different angles and stuff. And so there's there's tons and tons of opportunities for you to work on your, what I'll call your mastery. So the, again, the finite skills of, of whatever sport or activity you enjoy. And, and if it purely just becomes recreational, then, you know, it, it's uh, we're actually finding, I dealt with a couple yesterday and, and they bought a bocce set to use on, in their uh, living room and into their hallway. <laughs> Love it. They're, yeah. they're going to play bocce uh, just down the hallway and stuff. And, so, I mean, we're going to have to get creative because it's uh, otherwise boredom is going to set in. It's only so much, uh, you know, TV we can watch and so much time to spend on the iPad before we get bored. So, yeah, let's get up and get out and get active. And uh, whether it be just in your hallway or, or out in the backyard, uh, there's lots of ways to stay active. Yeah, for sure. And so many cool little gadgets you can get your hands on now, too, whether it's for, you know, body weight strength work or little home workouts or, as you say, some of the little um, reaction type equipment. And for people who are interested in that stuff, you can go to unitedsport.ca to check that out or get down to the store. But in terms of the uh, talent research, talent and skill acquisition research, one of the most important times for acquiring the real 
real refined skills, whether we're talking music or acting, whether we're talking even science and math, certainly chess and certainly sport, um, is those individual, private, unstructured practice times. And that's why, you know, we can all collectively turn this shutdown into a massive opportunity to get better at something or try something that we haven't done before. We're going to be posting uh, crush, stay sharp skills and drills um, every day on our social media. We know you guys have a lot of ideas as well, but little things like learning how to juggle or juggle a soccer ball, you know, all these things are going to be coming out. But this individual practice time, people, has been proven and shown to be one of the most valuable times. And it looks like we've got a whole plethora of it coming up, Kel. Yeah, no, and, and that, and you could agree more. I mean, this is, this is going to be longer than it is going to be shorter for sure. So our content team has worked really, really hard to try to get as much of our spring sport activities and, and all the other stuff up, including, you know, some outdoor games and stuff, because we, we think people are just going to want to do something fun and maybe not related to their sport or activity at all, but there's lots of ways to stay active. All right. Well, spring is here, Kelly. Let's continue this discussion as we roll through the spring and the shutdown. Hey, thanks so much for everything you guys do. And thanks for the conversation today. Yeah, thank you. We look forward to supporting the community here during this time as well. Well, there you go, everybody. Now let's use this downtime to get better. And speaking of getting better, right after this break, we're going to talk with Jamie Reed, the Senior Director of Medical Operations for the Texas Rangers, about maximizing player performance, reducing risk of injuries, and the long game, the things we need to be thinking about to raise the ceiling of potential, right after this on Crush Performance. If you have any performance questions, comments, or smart remarks, text Crusher at 101260 and follow him on Twitter at Jeff Crush. Now, here he is, the Crusher. And welcome back to the show, everybody. Jeff Kershell here, the con man. We're your weekly source for performance information. If you have any questions, comments, smart remarks, get them to us. We love them all. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is the email. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush. All right. Well, we're in shutdown mode, but listen, everybody, it's an opportunity. Let's keep it framed up and let's take advantage of this in the best way possible. Let's turn it into an opportunity to do things we wouldn't normally do. And with spring here, we would normally be playing, getting ready for, or watching baseball. And it's going to be back, hopefully sooner than later. And I wanted to get into the discussion of where we're at in terms of player development and injury prevention at the professional level, and most certainly at the developmental levels, all the issues we're now seeing at the professional levels for the injury and injury rates They start long before these players sign on the dotted line. And nobody better to talk to than our good friend, Jamie Reed, Senior Director of Medical Operations for the Texas Rangers. Jamie, thanks for joining us again. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jeff. Good to talk to you again. Well, Jamie, it's a very interesting time for sport across the board. Baseball, most certainly, maybe even more than other sports as the season is about to begin or was about to begin. But up until the shutdown, you guys have had a great camp in the beautiful sunshine of Arizona. How is camp going uh, leading up to the shutdown? It's uh, It's been actually a great camp. Overall, the weather's been good, and that's key because there's so much work that's done outside of the stadium and getting these guys ready to start a major league season and the minor leagues ready to get their seasons going also. So overall, it's been a really, really good camp. Had a couple scares, but uh, we'll get through those, and everything's going to be fine. Yeah, no, and that's great. And, you know, we saw a couple scares in the NHL here recently with cardiac incident on the bench. And, you know, it just goes back to how important it is to have sort of those emergency plans in place, but also the staff and the, man, just so incredible to watch the staff in action when uh, when an emergency or a, a real a serious incident like this happens. And I'd, uh, you guys are no stranger to that here recently. 
Yeah, it's, uh, it makes me really proud when I, I watch around all the professional leagues and the medical staffs are so well-trained and they walk through the emergency action plan so many times that it becomes very natural and, you know, the, the players benefit, but it also sets an example, you know, at the high school and college level, same thing. Um, bad injuries can happen at every level and every level needs to be prepared to, to get the athlete the best care possible. Yeah, well, one thing I love about our conversations, Jamie, is they usually wind up revolving around player health, player safety, and maximizing performance. And in our last show, um, I'm still getting questions and comments, especially as the baseball season's heating up here. Uh, We talked about specialization and the downside of specialization, especially for young athletes. Um, But you mentioned something that still is resonating with me and our audience here. You talked about the fact that athletes and baseball players up north are weather protected. And what it means is because of the environment here with the cold and the snow in the true four seasons they're not playing baseball year-round which actually bodes well for player development maybe we could touch on that again absolutely um i've been very involved in doing medical risk assessment on six to seven hundred players before the june draft major league draft and definitely have seen the trends where these you know the tommy john or the the ulnar collateral ligament reconstruction in an outlander out thrower's elbows usually a pitcher's elbow not always and interestingly, in 2014, of 600 evaluations, there were about 35 or 40 guys who had already had a Tommy John, or I believe they were headed towards the Tommy John. And it continued to grow. So you can imagine in 2014, we had you know 37, maybe 40. Last year in the draft, we had 318 guys who had already had a Tommy John, or I was convinced they were going to have a TJ within the next year. So it's a it's a byproduct of the sports specialization these kids throw in way too much almost year round and while it's still probably 60 65 percent in the southern states and in here in this our country because of the weather allows them to get outside but more and more and more i'm seeing you know seattle minnesota chicago and boston with all these baseball indoor baseball factories for year-round baseball or year-round pitching and hitting, now we're starting to see those northern cities are starting to catch up with the south, and that's very disturbing. It is disturbing. Isn't it crazy? Probably with the greatest of intentions, you know, they're putting up these facilities so baseball players who love the game can play more baseball, but it's actually, in essence, working against us in so many ways. Yeah, it is. And, you know, if you look at look at an overhead throwing arm, and it could be multiple sports, but we're talking about baseball. The honor collateral ligament in the elbow, so it's in, on the inside of the elbow, is almost like the odometer for a throwing arm. And you can't you, you, you can't go buy a used car and they turn it back thirty thousand miles. And trust me, you can't take back the, the, the early damaging and early scarring and thinning of the ligament because you know parents thought they were giving their child the best chance to play major league baseball so we're going to play year round at age 10 11 12 13 it's it's really concerning you can't reverse those effects that is a great great analogy we're talking with jamie reed the senior director of medical operations for the texas rangers that odometer analogy is one of the best ones i've ever heard jamie thank you for that because i think that will resonate with a lot of people you can't turn back the clock on the damage that's done when you're 10 11 12 years old because you're throwing year round i love that jamie yeah, it's, uh, you know, I got to it with my wife. My wife loves the beach, grew up on the water, and now she's looking at all the sun damage on her face, and 
you can't go. You, it, it's a major redo to to get rid of those, and it's the same thing in ligament. Really interested in Jeff. Last, uh, you know, th- this has been my passion is protecting these youth baseball players to give them a chance to play at the upper levels. And I gave my talk in London um, over the winter, and I was approached not by so much baseball or cricket, you know, coaches, physical therapists, athletic trainers, or parents. I was a, I was approached by the soccer mom and the soccer coach. And soccer is so big in Europe that everyone wants to play in the European League. And they're seeing now a rise in ACLs and the knees of 8- and 10- and 12-year-olds having a major knee reconstruction. And the long-term effect for that is, even for me, even worse than baseball. Because, you know what, if, you, if in the end your autocollateral ligament fails when you're 20, it's not going to impact the rest of your life in doing other things. However... But these young soccer players are getting an ACL and just tearing up the meniscus, which is the shock over in the knee. These kids are having reconstruct, having arthritic joints when they're 20 and 25 and looking at knee reconstruction or knee replacement in, in their 30s. And that impacts the rest of your life. So it's a real problem, and it's worldwide and translates to a lot of different sports. Jamie, you know, you and I have sat around and talked many hours about solutions for this. And, you know, I guess maybe really, really, and, you know, kind of like, you know, helping our athletes achieve their, their highest performance. It's all about problem solving. And for me, one of the keys to problem solving is truly, truly understanding the issues at hand. And when I break this down, Jamie, just correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but when I look at what's going on and, and what you say about soccer, we've seen it. We're seeing it in basketball, the NBA young basketball players as well same similar similar trends we're seeing it in football especially with the contact injuries with concussions and head injuries and brain injuries uh, in baseball with our arms um the pro leagues though are feeding this animal don't you think and i and i just got this feeling in my gut that you know until the the professional leagues change the the approach you know the emphasis on fastballs for high school players or the emphasis on early development for for 8 9 10 year old players in soccer and basketball until that changes we've got an uphill battle do, do you agree with me there uh 100% and you know i i think major league baseball owes it to the entire amateur side of baseball to educate and get out there in front. And ultimately the parents are going to make the choices, but give them the information. So the best arm to make the best decision for their child. Uh, it's interesting, Jeff, I've, I've given this talk literally the last 10 years about protecting arms. And there was a period about t- eight, 10 years ago where the coaches absolutely hated me giving this talk <laughs> because they're out there to win. Right. And the parents love to talk. Jeff, that's actually flipped now. Now the parents don't want to hear the talk because they think their child needs to get out there and play year-round baseball at the, at the tender ages of 10 and 12, um, and they're paying a bunch of money for it, and they're just putting their head in the sand about the long-term effects on their child. It's interesting. It's actually really interesting. Michael Young, who was a Hall of Fame player for the uh, Texas Rangers, one of the greatest guys ever, actually an original Toronto Blue Jay, yeah, I think, of course. your time. Yep. And just has a great ability to, you know, Sit back, listen to it all, and he, when he talks, it, you better listen because it's going to be really thoughtful and really analytical. He has a 12-year-old son who's playing baseball back in Dallas, and last summer, um, a, a couple parents approached Michael and said, "Hey, you know, that's our son over there, Toby, and um, you know, what do you think we need to do to get him to the next level?" And Michael's like, "You mean like playing in Pony League or Babe Ruth League?" And they said, "No, no, Major League Baseball." And Michael took a step back and. He said, you know, the best way for him to get to Major League Baseball, you better get him a math tutor 
because honestly, if you're playing this much baseball at 10 or 12, he's never going to make it. Wow. Powerful words from Mike Young. And you're so right. He is one of the best. What a message from a incredible, incredible player. That is, wow, that is powerful, Jamie. Wow. Yeah, it is. Get, get ready for a front office job because it's probably not going to happen on the field if you keep playing as much baseball as you are now. Yeah, no question about it. And that sort of rolls into the next thing I really wanted to uh, talk to you about is this whole um, addition or trend, I'm going to say. Let's say the trend. The trend towards weighted balls, which is, you know, driven by marketing and, and other and certain certain bodies out there that are pushing it. Um, there's a place for weighted balls. But, Jamie, you got to really, really understand this weighted ball phenomenon. It, it You know, parents are, are and teams are, are plugging weighted balls in like it's just another addition into a program. Uh, this is a dangerous game to play, isn't it? It really is. Um, you know, the weighted ball, the, the, the philosophies that started basically in the Seattle area, and it, it's become a very velo-driven game. And, and the thought was, and it was a very thoughtful process that they went through, but the thought was with the weighted balls, you have to recruit the bigger muscles, you slow it down, and it's a great way to hammer in really good mechanics as you transition from a heavier ball down to, you know, a five-and-a-half-ounce baseball. But then it became an exercise to throw these weighted balls, and that's where it became really, really dangerous. And actually, interestingly, um, the lighter balls, so the, the the balls that actually weigh half the weight of a of a um, of a regular baseball, actually cause more stress on the shoulder and elbow than the weighted balls. But the weighted ball program is supposed to be a warm up, twelve to fifteen throws with a weighted ball in a controlled atmosphere, and then you go long toss, get on the bullpen and then go in your game. And the idea is the weighted ball will take, let, allow you to warm up much quicker with a lot less throws of the baseball to get to the bullpen. But that's not how it's being used. I've got pitchers here in, in camp, minor league pitchers, and a couple of major league guys, and they'll throw that weighted ball instead of 15, 17 times. They'll throw it 45, 50 times, mm. and then go throw 60 throws and long toss before you get to, to, the, uh, to the bullpen. They've already cocked their arm 100 times before they get to the bullpen. They're going to cock it another 50 times and then go into a game with 150 throws under their shoulder or elbow. And that's just not the purpose of it. And I, I sat in, in, you know, in our draft room and it's about three weeks immediately before the draft. And I love it. I've, I've sat next to a, a bunch of hall of fame players and they're all very consistent. When I say, Hey, who's the, what's the one pitch you hate to see? And across the board, they all say a really good changeup because hitting is about timing. Pitching is about disrupting timing and a really good changeup throws that off. So I talked to our analytics department and said, why don't we recruit and scout and draft medium-level fastballs, 92-93, with a really good changeup because they have a better chance of staying healthy. And they showed me the stats. And that basically is it, the difference between someone who throws 92 and a guy who throws 98. The guy who throws 98 chases about 60 batting point average, 60 points off the batting average against him. So I get the velo. But, man, you're, you're jumping in the den of lions here because the risk association with velocity is very, very real. You know, Jeff, you, you were a major league strength coach for a lot of years. How many lat injuries do you remember back during your time of doing that? Oh, n- not many at all. Like, not many. Like, it, I, I, maybe one I can think of, and we rehab that like crazy. Exactly. Now, in our organization, we're going to see, we expect to see anywhere from 6 to 12 um, you know, at the Astro, Houston Astros' best starting pitcher went down earlier this week with a lat tear. And the, the lat used to be, you know, just part of the bodybuilding normal. But now we, 
it's it's been found in research that the lat actually helps in acceleration. So these guys are developing huge lats and they're trying to accelerate their arm faster than it probably should be should go uh, to get these velocities. And they're tearing this tendon right off the bone in the shoulder. And it's, right. it's like a three month process for this thing to heal, rehab back, and then get back ready to go to game. It's a devastating injury and we never saw it in about five or six years ago yeah it's crazy and that's uh that's one of the negative changes we're seeing i think we really got to get back to the idea or, or maybe not even get back to it jamie maybe this is sort of the new thinking that we've really got to start communicating is the long game of athlete development early on diversity multiple sports for sure when the athletes do start getting to a point where they pick a sport or two sports to, to hone in on you know really focusing on preparing for that sport but when you get to the professional level uh management of volume and intensity is so so critical the one concern that i really have with the weighted balls especially for dads out there and moms out there and organizations who are just you know adding them into their program just to add them in because they they heard they might help them become better is you have to consider the implications in recovery here they're just adding these weighted ball throwing programs in like it's another as you mentioned another exercise to to do and uh without any consideration of the breakdown and the extra recovery time needed from that extra stress Leave alone the issues of throwing weighted balls with poor mechanics if the athlete isn't ready for it. There's so many things you need to know before you dive into these sorts of things. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, go back to, to a point we are talking about with this year-round baseball. Most of the guys, most of the kids are learning the weighted ball programs over the winter. So they're cocking their arm inside, but they're cocking it all winter to get ready for a spring season, and there's been virtually no break for the shoulder or elbow. My... Uh, my, my, our head team position um, in orthopedic surgeon Keith Meister is awesome, one of the best in baseball. And his analogy to everyone who's talking about these velos, it's like he says, all right, let's put a Porsche engine into a Volkswagen, and it's going to go really fast, faster than it's designed to go. But I guarantee you're going to replace those brakes a lot sooner than you would with a Volkswagen engine. And it's true. The brakes are the rotator cuff, and the labrum in the shoulder, and it's the ulnar collateral ligament trying to deal with these maximum velo changes. Oh, such great stuff, Jamie. Such an important conversation. Listen, everybody, we have to cut out for a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Jamie Reed, the Senior Director of Medical Operations for the Texas Rangers. And though our theme is baseball today, this conversation goes well, well beyond baseball into the world of sport. So much more coming up right after this on Crush Performance. Stick around. You're listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back to the show, everybody. You are listening to Crush Performance. I am Jeff Crushell. The con man is right there. And listen, if you have a topic you'd like us to investigate or a question that you might need some help with, get to us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is our email. We answer every single message we get. And we may dedicate a segment, even an entire episode, to your idea. Um, because if you have that question, we're sure many, many other people do. And the great thing is, your questions often get us thinking about things we might not normally think about, and that's what we challenge ourselves to do for you, get you guys thinking about things that uh, you might not think about. Well, today's one of those days for sure. We're joined by Jamie Reed, Senior Director of Medical Operations for the Texas Rangers, and though we've been talking baseball, Jamie, up until now, there's implications here and applications 
across the board when it comes to sport. And when we talk about injury prevention and player management, especially when it comes to health and injury prevention, the discussion we just wrapped up here in that last segment about managing athletes long-term, protecting them in their off-seasons, and really looking at the long game. There's such great, great opportunity out there for the organizations that really, really understand that. Now, I was lucky enough to be down there, invited down to the Texas Rangers spring training last year. Uh, it was a great honor. But I see you guys starting to tap into this, like leading the way in terms of long-term development when players are coming in, really assessing them and making sure they're safe as they develop throughout the years. And, you know, with the new leadership there and the coaching staff, uh, it's a very, very exciting time for the Texas Rangers. Can you imagine where sport would go if organizations uh, across the board took on this sort of mindset? Yeah, no question. And, you know, I think we talked about last year, Jeff, maybe not, but we, we had a lot of young players who had, only pitch high school and we draft them in june and that summer we don't let them throw a lot we didn't let them throw a lot i should say and we taught them how to work out as professional athletes to get bigger and stronger how to eat properly nutrition is a big factor and it worked you know these high school kids were putting on 20 30 pounds in six or eight months uh but 20 30 pounds means more velo and more forces and we started seeing guys who you know, when we draft them out of high school and we do MRIs and they have pristine elbow ligaments and pristine shoulders, and 12 months later, they're having Tommy John surgery. So we're actually, we've got a big study going on trying to identify at what point are, are we creating more stress than when that's causing these injuries. So we're actually, you know, looking at, at shoulders after draft and we're looking at them after long toss programs and then after the build up to get in spring training and at the end of spring training and then during the season. So maybe maybe we're ramping up too quickly or maybe we're not spring training's too short to get these guys ready. Maybe we should, you know, control it a little bit. So we're certainly looking at that. Interestingly, we uh, about seven years ago we started using a radar gun not for the guys on the mound, but for the guys in rehab. So we can manage their intensity as they ramp up to get to the mound. And if a guy gets over, our, our, our number right now is about 84%. We don't want anybody going over 84% of their, their pre, pre-injury maximum velo. And if they do, we just slow them down take the, or take the ball out of the hand. So we need to protect these guys in the ramp up to get ready for a game coming off, off of injury or potentially coming off an offseason. Oh, I absolutely love it. It's a long game, isn't it? This goes back to the whole concept of athlete player development and adaptation, right? We need that time to adapt. Jamie, I'm really interested to follow that in your study there to see what you guys find. In my in my mind, you guys are on to something really, really important here. And it's going to vary between players based on their past experiences, their, their levels of readiness, current levels of readiness. There's going to be all these variables, but I think there's going to be a trend there. Time to adapt. That's what it's all about. And that's why I love baseball so much. I think it's one of the things that attracted me to the game is that beautiful minor league system where you can actually take time to develop the players to get them at the highest level of readiness, where they're durable, where they're adaptable, and they're ready for what I think is the most grueling competitive schedule in all of sport. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, Major League Spring Training, and we're here for 45 days and work at 44 of them. Our only off day in 45 days is, is this week. And we, as you know, it's a, it's a very early morning schedule, and we play day games to get ready for a night game schedule. What sense does that make? It's like a sprinter going out and run, running several 20-yard sprints before he goes and runs you know, a, a two-mile race. It, it just doesn't make sense. Um, 
and they've added more off days that's been negotiated in by the CBA, but to play, you know, 162 games in 181 days and travel 50,000 miles and 90% of the games are night games, which means you're, you're rolling home or rolling into, you know, another hotel bed at, after travel at three or four or five in the morning. It just, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's a big industry and, and both sides have benefited from it, but now we need to be a little bit smarter, I think, and protect these guys so that they can go through it. It's better for the organization. More importantly to me, it's better for the player. So a lot of great things going on, but there's still a lot we don't completely understand. Oh, Jamie Reed, Senior Director of Medical Operations for the Texas Rangers. You are preaching to the choir here, my friend. Preaching to the choir, and we're uh, we're soaking it in for sure. Well, listen, uh, before I let you go here, I have to talk to you about this because it is a very, very exciting time for the Texas Rangers, and I'm I'm really excited for everybody there. And on another note, this new stadium is dynamite, man. You know, we talked about the turf um, last time we spoke, which we're very excited to see how it all plays. Um, but this stadium is something else, and I, and I like what it means for the players and and the player development side of it as well. Yeah, there's no doubt. Playing I, my first 17 years in Texas, we were by far and away playing more games above 95 degrees and finished more games in still in in, in the 90s than any other team. It's three times more than the next closest team. And so, you know, hydration is a huge part of it. I'm, I'm, the, the more I talk to folks with sports science, including you, the more I'm convinced it comes down to three foundations, proper nutrition, proper hydration, and proper sleep. And playing outside in Texas, it's a residual effect. You can, you know, you can put as much water or Gatorade in front of the players as you want for that one night, but I think there's a residual effect of playing, you know, 30 games, that are starting 90 degrees, 100 degrees in a, in a two-month period versus teams that don't do that. I think there's a residual effect, and I don't know, and I don't want to curse this, but uh, I honestly think playing inside when it's really hot, we're going to see less soft tissue injuries because you know, I'm a big believer, and we've never really talked about this, but I think hamstrings and, and obliques really love water. They thrive on water, and when they dry out, they get, they get hurt. So hopefully this, this will make a difference. We've also dedicated 7,000 feet in our new stadium to sports science. We'll have two uh, high-speed camera systems so hitters and, and pitchers can look at the mechanics at a very ultra-high speed uh, and really break it down. But we also have a lot of space dedicated to just that recovery. We have sleep pods. We have cryo chambers. We have these um, these compression boot uh, room where your guys can get in and just flush the lymphatic system. So. You know, a lot of it's still a little bit of, I don't want to say black box. I think it's, it's gray-headed to white. But we're going to give our players every opportunity to maximize the ability to perform on the, play, on the field in a safer manner. I'm excited what the stadium is going to give us the opportunity to do. Oh, it's so excited. Man, we could talk for another hour here. You just opened Pandora's box, mister. We're going to have to carry this over to next time because I don't want to keep you all day. But but I agree with you with the hydration. Sleep in all of our programs. Jamie, you and I have talked about this. Uh, we build all of our performance programs around sleep and recovery and trying to maximize the time that we have there and, and taking advantage of it, no question about it. When it comes to the hydration and nutrition, oh, again, you're, you're singing to the choir there. And it's just so important across the board. And, and in your environment, you're right. It's all almost impossible to catch up, especially in those long homestands. If you look at the 24-hour window you have between games, it's almost impossible. It comes to be almost uh, survival of the fittest or at least managing, trying to get to the highest level of readiness despite all the the challenges you have. 
Yeah, I, I, I totally agree, and I, I think we're giving them every advantage. Jeff, I'm just curious. Can I tap into to your professional side a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Help me with with this sports specialization with hockey. You know, that's so big in, in your country, and I'm sure with you know going inside in the rings, and these kids are probably skating more and more. What kind of injury types do you see with these kids are training too much year-round? Yeah, well, I think for hockey, it's a very different animal, right? Because we have the contact issues. But again, people don't realize this, but it's an incredibly one-sided sport as well. And uh, the kids who are now playing hockey year-round, we're seeing such massive asymmetries in muscle balance and and, uh, posture as well, Jamie, that it's leading to a lot of groin, low back injuries. We're seeing a lot of hamstring issues as well. And, um, you know, like every other sport, when we look at the long long-term development of the of the athletes we're seeing a hard ceiling Jamie a hard ceiling that's not necessarily um, indicating a higher risk of injury, though we do know that this year-round single sport does lead to higher specialist soft tissue issues, but we're seeing a hard ceiling in terms of um, the ability to extend talent beyond that, and it's very, very low. So we always talk about raising the ceiling of potential by paying attention to the long game. But when we look at the skating stride and the way the players now are applying force to the ice through the skates and the muscles that are being used repetitively, we're seeing similar issues, you know, when we talk about the one-sidedness of the throwing motion or tennis um, inside the groin, which is a massive, massive problem area because once things start going awry through that whole, you know, core and hip region, uh, we run into usually long-term issues for these guys so that's why the track work and the off-ice work becomes so so important getting away from the game the the off-ice work has to compensate for lack of participating in other sports so we spend a lot of time focusing on the time away from the game yeah it's, it's fascinating i referenced dr keith meister earlier he was a team physician for u.s hockey for a lot of years before i got him here in texas and for three years he took care of the dallas stars and you know, we, we used to never hear about these core injuries in baseball, but I guess in hockey, we, we started really identifying them probably, you know, in the last 10 years, and we mm-hmm. called them sports hernias, and now it's kind of termed core injury. Um, but it seems like in hockey, it's just so prevalent where, you know, the, the adductors and the groin and the quad potentially and the rectus, uh, abdominal muscles, and even the oblique all, all kind of come together in a common joint. And it just it pays the price, especially in hockey. It really does. And if you look at this, the asymmetries in these guys, especially in the way it's impacting the posture and postural alignment, it's staggering. So I've actually been lucky enough here over the last couple of years to be sort of um, consulting with a couple of hockey agencies looking at these players. And of course, you know, dealing with baseball, you know, we have the one-sidedness. We're very hyper aware of the one-sidedness and the stress of hitting and, and throwing uh, one side. But I was absolutely blown away by the uh, the the impact it has on the hockey players, being a right-handed player or a left-handed uh, um, uh, player, um, and the the way it's impacted the alignment. But then again, ultimately, the stress on the system when, where you do start seeing break breakdown, especially when these young players are playing year-round without any corrective work, Jamie. So that corrective work has just become so so critical to help manage and you know dissipate some of these injuries that we're seeing because of that, and, and that goes across the board. I think. Yeah, it's, 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 so, it's such an exciting time if you really want to research these injuries and, and, and go back to the basics and like track it down. I, had, I hate to drag on in your show, but I have so much fun stuff. I love speaking to you so much. I went to LSU this year 
just uh, they've got a very robust sports science department. And I, the head athletic trainer, Jack Maroach, is an old friend of mine. And they actually had a wide receiver. It was a national championship team they year, but they had a wide receiver, tremendous talent. And he was catching like 85% of his balls when he went left and looked over his left shoulder and less than like 42% of the balls he caught going over his right shoulder, a lot of drops. So they started looking at dominant eye and what impact that actually has on the physical body. And it was actually fascinating. And then you translate that to baseball, and if you're back eye dominant when you're hitting, you're going to have to square up more to the pitcher, and that changes mechanics and changes stress forces. And I would be willing to bet, and I don't know hockey that well, but the same thing would probably happen in hockey. There's no question, Jamie, and that's why you know what um, I've been a huge, I've been a huge sort of, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is, but I've, I've been sort of really intrigued and in, in following the vision training and the perception training for years and years and years. And I was lucky enough to be at University of Calgary when Joan Vickers was starting some of her work on the quiet eye phenomenon, and and I was sort of part of that, and that started me at a very very young age understanding uh, vision and visual perception. And uh, I was lucky enough to work to the Blue Jays through those those incredible. Incredible years through the late '90s, early 2000s, and in 2001, we had um, we had a really interesting time. We were doing, actually, I was lucky enough to to, to be trusted enough to do some very unique things with the players, and, and we started doing some vision training. We started doing some compound constraint led type training with the guys in their hitting. Uh, but if you remember, in 2001, we had something called the Kings of Swing. It was the first time in Major League history where we had four players hit more than 20 home runs before the All-Star break. Now, these guys were all incredibly talented, but what people don't know is we had four or five other players who were 16, 17, 18. They were just a couple home runs away from all also joining that 20 home run club. The cool thing about that was um, just through the daily routines and weekly routines, we set up some really, really structured, deliberate practice on vision training, visual perception. And, and the guys sometimes didn't even realize what they were doing, but it just worked so well, Jamie. And then we also started doing some really unique stuff in, t- in terms of their, their cage hitting, working in some, some pre-fatigue work before they would go in and hit. This is a way from the game to get them ready for the game, and it really, really worked. But one of the things that was really interesting about that time was Tony Batista, the third base and the way he would align himself in the batter's box, you know, is just that he would came under a lot of criticism until he started hitting the crap out of the ball. But he would stand in the batter's box square to the pitcher and hold his bat in front of him. And then he would go through his hitting motion as he tracked the ball and make an unbelievable contact. So I understand that, that you know, that the, the back eye, front eye, and, and getting guys aligned um, so, so important. But Tony Batista was an incredible, incredible player who kind of opened up, uh, I think, a new world in terms of, of vision and hitting there from, from the perspective of performance. It was fun, a fun, fun time. No, I remember Tony. He was an awesome hitter. But and, and on the average hitter, say the average amateur hitter, if if you're back eye dominant and you have to open up more, you got to believe that the outside of the plate is going to be a, a bigger liability to you because yeah. you're going to see everything in inner half much better at the cost of probably seeing things on the outer half. But we could talk about it all forever. It's it's so exciting and and uh, it, the neat thing is, is no human body is exactly like the other. Everyone's different. I. You and I were both in the American League East back in the 90s, and I was fortunate to work with a shortstop who played about 2,600 straight games. And, <laughs> you know, Calvary had the incredible mental durability to just push through things. But the other thing, too, is, you know, sometimes it's a tissue compliance thing. Cal did a great job of picking his parents, um, but not everyone is built exactly the same. And to find, allow 
to look at guys individually and get, put them individually into the best position um, to succeed and perform and stay healthy. It's, it's, it's what kind of drives us to work every day, and it's super exciting. And quite honestly, I think we just scratched the tip of the iceberg on this. Oh, I'm with you. The art of performance, the art of development. Jamie Reed, what a fantastic conversation today. Hey, listen, really appreciate this. Cannot wait to talk to you again. Uh, please pass on a hello to everybody down there at the Texas Rangers organization, and um, we'll be watching you guys with great interest here, Jamie. Sounds great. Hey, let's, let's connect again in the summer after the draft. I'm sure we'll have a few more uh, light bulb moments, and then we can talk about the difference that uh, once the Texas heat kicks in in May. Talk about what the difference we think in the stadium has actually made. Yeah, love it. Fascinating stuff, Jamie. Really appreciate you, my man. All right, Crusher. Great talking to you. Oh, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Jamie Reed, the Senior Director of Medical Operations for the Texas Rangers. Such a great conversation. Well beyond baseball. This is sport athlete development at large and uh, such an important conversation for anybody involved in sport at any level. I think we can rack this one up as a crush classic right now. Listen, if you want to go back and listen to this one, I'm going to do it. You can check out our podcast at crushperformance.com and get it there and and share this one. Uh, If you're a baseball family, baseball executive, if you're a baseball scout in developmental baseball or professional baseball, this is one you'll want to share with your coaching staff, your parents, and certainly your players to get a better understanding of the approach we need to start taking if we're not only going to help our young athletes achieve their potential wherever that might be, but also reduce the risk of injury. Oh my goodness. If we can all start thinking like this, uh, we're going to create a lot of very, very good things in the world of sports. So got to thank Jamie Reed for that. All right, listen, we are way, way out of time. But before we go, just a little heads up on what we're working on here over the next couple weeks. We're going to continue to talk about the shutdown and how we can help you guys stay sharp. We're posting on our social media on Twitter at Jeff Crush and on Instagram, Facebook, and our YouTube channel. Uh, Search out Crush Performance. We're posting drills and things you can do every day to increase your abilities as an athlete. Let's use this time to get better. And uh, that's a real important mindset for certain. And we are 15 years out from the congressional hearings into the MLB doping scandal. We're going to go look back at that era of the game. We're going to look at where we've come in the last 15 years and where we still need to go. we got some dynamite guests and some really, really interesting information coming up over the next couple weeks on Crush Performance. So be sure to join us. All right, everybody, get out there, get better, and we'll talk to you next week on Crush Performance. This is a Landry Football Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Then the whole issue was two things. One, personally, you know, location, family, you can get on a flight from here to there to this family member and what that was a big, big important part. But in either case, or in maybe two or three instances, he was going to seek out and get a lot of leeway to kind of do his own thing. Ironically, and I don't think it is a coincidence that a lot of what's really sold Brady on Tampa. I mean, Tampa, the city, happens to fit the locale of Brady wanting to move on to fly up to New York and a pretty, you know, easy flight to, you know, that, that of course, has everything to do with locale. The, the Buccaneers' appeal was the people associated in, in Tampa. 
Tom Mark, Clyde Christensen, Bruce Arians, those guys were all Peyton Manning guys, work with those groups. This offense that Bruce Arians runs is very much, well, it is that offense in the Colts with variations over time, but everything that I think Brady likes. And so this, and it gives a lot of freedom and concepts and ideas, which again, he had a lot of freedom in New England at the line of scrimmage, but he's going to have more freedom leading into it. So that's what led to the decision to go to the Buccaneers. Who's there, what they're going to allow him to do, and a lot of freedom. The Landry Football Podcast with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.